Welcome to the 154th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look at the NBA Finals, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And every, every prediction is in Major League Baseball, so we'll start and end there where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions, bringing him to a 423-296 and 296 overall record, a 58.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Yeah, that started with the Red Sox taking 2-3 of three from the Mariners. That was a series I predicted right. Uh, the Giants swept the Dodgers. That was a series I predicted wrong. The Twins took 2-3 of three from the Rays. That was a win for me. And the Rangers took 2-3 of three from the White Sox. That was a loss for me. Now, I'll go into, uh, well, the very specifics of those series uh, right now. Uh, Look, the Red Sox against the Mariners, uh, Paul Sewell came in in a 0-0 game. He got all five batters he faced to a 0-2 or 1-2 count uh, in the final game of the series. It was 1-1 heading into that game. I believe this was in the seventh. It was in the seventh inning, yeah. Um, He strikes out the first two. But he hits a batter for the Red Sox, Rob Refsnyder, and on a 1-2 pitch that was a fastball high and out of the zone, um, horizontally, Rafael Devers hits an opposite field home run to take a 2-0 lead in the series clinching game. That home run was all they needed as Seattle only managed to get one hit the entire game. Uh, the Red Sox could have ended, and by the way, in a surprisingly good start by Cutter Crawford, um, the Red Sox could have ended the series earlier because they did take a 6-5 to lead in the top of the ninth on a Bobby Dahlbeck home run in the second game of the series, but then blew the save opportunity, losing 7-6. to But overall, Red Sox 8-2 and on their West Coast trip. We'll talk about that a little more later, but uh, good for them. Uh, let's go to the Dodgers-Giants. Speaking of West Coast teams, uh, the Dodgers had bases loaded, zero outs, and scored zero, then bases loaded with one out and scored zero in game two of their series against the Giants. Um... They proceeded to have three leadoff doubles throughout the final game of the series, but none of those runners scored with actually only one of them getting the third base, allowing the Giants to win the game off of two first-inning solo home runs. Uh, The Dodgers out-hit the Giants 24-20 in total in the series, but were outscored 12-4, which doesn't make any sense when you look at how many hits the Dodgers had, but it does make sense when you look at the fact that the Dodgers went 2-for-24 with runners in scoring position in the series, Uh, The pitching game gave them a chance in every game, really, honestly, except for maybe the first one where they lost 7-2. But, uh, you know, might have used the bullpen a little bit differently if their offense could have generated some more uh, runs. If the game was closer, you know, obviously changes how the bullpen is used. Uh, But just a very bad offensive series this weekend overall for the Dodgers. No way to slice it, no matter how. I mean, even the 24, I mean, 24 hits is great. Eight hits a game should normally get you a lot of runs. But the fact that the Dodgers could not capitalize on any of those opportunities, I believe they actually got a runner on every single inning in the game two of the series, but yet only managed to get two runs. And one of those was even off of a solo home run that, you know, if it had come at any other time in the game, could have pretty much won the Dodgers the game. But uh, regardless, and by the way, it was from Freddie Freeman. If it had come two innings earlier, it would have been a game-winning grand slam. Uh, or at least a go-ahead Grand Slam. You never know what would have happened, but at least a go-ahead Grand Slam. Um, Moving on from that, the Twins against the Rays. As as I said, the Twins took two of three in this series. 
Twins had an offensive explosion in Game 1, winning 9-4 behind two solo home runs from Byron Buxton and a two-run home run from Carlos Correa. In Game 2, the Rays took a 3-0 lead in the first inning off of five singles off of Chichi Gonzalez, but Luis Arias hit a grand slam in the third inning as part of a five-run inning, guiding the Twins to a 6-5 victory. They lost Game 3 of the series 6-0, so the Rays didn't get swept, but they had already taken the first two, so that was irrelevant for my purposes. And then you have the Rangers and the White Sox. Now, I'll skip over a lot of this stuff that could be talked about here because I'm going to talk about it when I talk about the White Sox later because there are some other things going on earlier in the week as opposed to this weekend with the White Sox. But I will start with the fact that uh, Game 1 was a close game with the White Sox taking a 3-2 lead into the 8th inning and then all of a sudden it wasn't close because after the Rangers scored 1 in the top of the 8th to tie the game up at 3, the White Sox got a two-run double from Yasmani Grandal and a two-run home run from Danny Mendick in the eighth as part in the bottom of the eighth, I should say, as part of a five-run inning to take an eight-to-three lead. But after that eighth inning, everything went south for the White Sox. Uh, they held a 5-0 lead over the Rangers by the end of the fourth inning in Game Two. The Rangers made it five-to-four, but the White Sox responded to make it a seven-to-four lead, adding on some insurance runs at the end of the fifth inning. The Rangers then scored three runs in the last few innings to force extra innings where they would put up four runs in the top of the 10th, and despite allowing two in the bottom of the 10th, the Rangers were able to obviously win that game 11-9 over the White Sox. Then, in Game 3, the White Sox would take a 1-0 lead in the first, but the first inning was probably bad overall for them because they lost Michael Kopech to, a, I think, a knee injury, they said, knee discomfort, 13 pitches into his outing after just getting two outs. So that was unfortunate. We, we knew that that was going to mess up their uh, pitching and what they what their plan was um, right off the bat. Uh, they gave up that lead as the Rangers made it 3-1. to one. A costly error by Ezekiel Duran led to a two-run seventh for the White Sox to tie the game at three. But after the Rangers failed to score the automatic runner at second, the White Sox had the perfect opportunity to win the game, and they blew it, just needing to score the runner from second with zero outs, obviously, as we know, because of the fact that they lost the game. They did not end up doing that. Uh, they failed to do that, gave up three runs in the top of the 11th. The White Sox rallied for three runs to tie it in the bottom of the, tw- in the, in the, bottom of the 11th, by the way, <laughs> but gave up two runs in the top of the 12th, and the game ended on a double play after Luis Roberts' slide pulled him off the base even though he was safe by a mile, uh, trying to tag up on a ball that, unfortunately for the White Sox, would have been a home run in two out of 30 MLB stadiums, but unfortunately was a pop-up, fly-out, whatever you want to describe it, double play for the White Sox. I'll talk about the rest of their issues later, but uh, yeah, the White Sox didn't have a good week. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, White Sox found interesting ways to lose those games. Um, all right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Let's now turn our attention to the NBA, where in the NBA Finals, Golden State now holds a three-games-to-two lead. Boston won Game 3, 116-100. to uh, at home, as the series returned to their home, I should say. Uh, for them, very good result after, well, actually, they kept up their run because they they had, well, we'll talk about it later, but they had not lost a game after, they, well, they had not lost back-to-back games, I should say, in the playoffs. Every game after a loss, they had come back with a win uh, to that point. And they won this game, 116-100. to uh, the Celtics have also followed a formula that, well, you know what, I, I, I keep throwing out these stats that I saw today, but I can't do that because I'm talking about games of the past. So I'll get to those stats later. Um, for now, 
Boston, in this game, shot 48% from the field, 37% from three. Uh, a rarity, as most people have pointed out, was that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both had a good game at the same time. Jason Tatum had 26 points, six rebounds, nine assists. Uh, not very efficient on nine of 23 shooting, uh, but at the same time, Jalen Brown had 27 points, nine rebounds, and five assists on nine of 16 shooting, so a much more efficient day for him and a better day overall for him. Uh, they were the key there, too, uh, along with Marcus Smart, who had 24 points on 8 of 17 shooting, along with 7 rebounds and 5 assists. And Robert Williams had 8 points and 10 rebounds on 4 of 5 shooting. And Al Horford also added an 11, 8, and 6. So everybody in the starting lineup doing a very good job for Boston, uh, having a lot of contributions. So overall, they kind of just overwhelmed the Warriors, uh, despite Steph Curry scoring 31 points on 6 of 11 from 3, and 12 of, 20 shoot, 12 of 22 shooting overall. That's a tongue twister. Um, the Warriors were not able to win this game. Andrew Wiggins had 18 points on 7 of 16 shooting. Clay had 25 on 7 of 17 shooting. Draymond Green continued to struggle, fouling out of the game again uh, with two points, four rebounds, and three assists. So not good from the Warriors all around. Uh, Poole had 10 off the bench, but again, only four double-figure scores. Just not a good game for the Warriors offensively, and the and the Celtics had a good offensive game themselves, so uh, obviously didn't go very well for the Warriors, but keeping an eye on the turnover numbers in this game, uh, Boston was able to limit their turnovers to 12, which isn't a great number, but it's not a bad number, while the Warriors had 16, so Boston won that uh, battle there. And then, as we move on to Game 4, uh, the Warriors were able to bounce back on the road in pretty much a do-or-die game, I don't think the Warriors win the series if they go down 3-1. to one. Uh, I, I would definitely not think they would win that, but, you know, anything is possible. Um, but, don't think they would. They did, they, they're not going to deal with that because of the fact that they won Game 4, uh, 107-97. to 97. The Warriors were pretty much only led single-handedly by Steph Curry, actually, Andrew Wiggins and Klay Thompson in the last game shot six for seven. Sorry, shot seven for sixteen for Wiggins and seven for seventeen for Klay. They actually shot almost identical this game. Wiggins was seven of seventeen and Klay was also seven of seventeen. So one one more shot attempt by Wiggins, another miss. But um, overall, this is the Steph Curry show. Forty three points on fourteen of twenty six shooting, seven of fourteen from three. Uh, Wiggins and Thompson, as I said, both went 7 of 17, but Andrew Wiggins had 16 rebounds in this game, so despite the lack of shooting efficiency, he had a very big impact on the game overall when you consider not only his his uh, points numbers, but also the rebounding numbers. Draymond went 1 for 7, so again, not a great game for him, but instead of having 4 rebounds and 3 assists while he still did have his 2 points... He, A, didn't foul out of the game, and B, had nine rebounds and eight assists. So overall, better contributions uh, from Draymond. Uh, and then, obviously, as I said, this was just Steph Curry's game to win. And, I mean, Jordan Poole had some good production off the bench, too. 14 points on 6 of 13 shooting. Uh, and Kevon Looney came off the bench after the Warriors inserted uh, Otto Porter into the starting lineup. That was a little mini change that Steve Kerr made that, well, as we know to this point, has led them to be 2-0, two, two actually, with that change, that new starting lineup. Um, in the end, Looney had 6 points and 11 rebounds off the bench in 28 minutes, so he actually played 13 more minutes than Otto Porter did, despite Otto Porter starting and him coming off the bench. Uh, but let's move on to the Celtics side of things. 
Jason Tatum had another inefficient night. He got 20 again, but very inefficient, shooting 8 of 23. Uh, although he did have 23 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists, it looks good overall. When you consider the numbers efficiency-wise, it's not as great as you would think. Um, and overall, he's... I wouldn't necessarily say he's had a disappointing first finals, but definitely not up to the expectations that we had set for him, although those expectations were pretty lofty and hard to meet. Uh, but also, Marcus Smart, 18 points on 7 of 18 shooting. Uh, Robert Williams had 7 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, Al Horford was 2 of 6 from the field, which was all all those shots were threes. Um, and then Derek White had 16 points off the bench, but he was 4 for 12 shooting, made a lot of those uh, baskets at the free throw line. And, magic number, the Celtics did go, well, the Celtics actually had 15 turnovers in this game. Uh, the reason why I mention that, I guess we'll move on to Game 5. Uh, this series really is about all the trends for the Celtics. The Celtics were, sorry, are 6-1 and one when they are under 16 turnovers in the playoffs. The Warriors beat them last game in Game 4, sorry, in Game 4, as I was just talking about. And not only did the Warriors break that streak where the Celtics were previously 6-0, and and by the way, I think their record is now 2-8 and or 2-9 and after the loss in Game 5. That was by a score of 104-94, as I should mention by now. But also the Warriors broke the streak of the Celtics not losing consecutive games. Uh, the series after the 2-2 tie became a best-of-three series with Golden State having home court, and Golden State took the first game at home. The Celtics finally lose consecutive games in the playoffs. Uh, the Warriors came out. I mean, they were just on fire in the first quarter. At some point up, I think like 24-8 to 8 or something like that. Uh, the Celtics had a good response at the end of the quarter, but overall the Warriors were just too much. I talked about that magical number of 16 when it comes to turnovers. The Celtics had 18 in this game, so uh, they were not able to stay under that number that is pretty indicative of if they're winning or not. Um, as a team, they shot 41% from the floor, 34% from three. It's not terrible overall, but it, it just wasn't enough to match up with the Warriors, who shot 46.6% from the field and also had 13 extra attempts, uh, even though the Celtics actually out-rebounded them. I think that's just because they shot a lot more free throws, if I were to guess. Yeah, they, the Warriors shot um, 15 free throws compared to the Celtics' 31 free throws. However, the Celtics could not make like any of those free throws. So despite shooting 16 extra free throws in the Warriors, they only made eight extra, so they really failed to capitalize on the fact that the Warriors, uh, well, I'll say that the refs gave them so many opportunities at the line. It, it wasn't enough. Um, the Celtics shooting 67.7% from the line compared to the Warriors shooting 13 to 15, good enough for 86.7. Uh, and look, the Warriors shot 23% from three, pretty bad. They went 9 to 40. It was not a good shooting night for them. Uh, Steph Curry especially, he shot 0 of 9 from the three-point line. Andrew Wiggins was 0 of 6. Otto Porter was 0 of 2. Draymond Green was 0 for 2. Gary Payton was 1 for 3. And then Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. 3 for 6 for Poole, 5 for 11 for Thompson. So overall, those two combined for 8 for 17 from the three-point line, while the rest of the team combines to go 1 of 23. That is... Pretty bad for the Warriors, and yet somehow they were able to scrape out the win. And Gary Payton, despite not great shooting, also had 15 points and 5 rebounds overall. So a good game for him nonetheless. Uh, a lot of the points on those layups and some putbacks too. Uh, Jordan Poole, 
Flair for the dramatic hitting a bank shot at the end of the third quarter that probably meant a lot in this game, gave the Warriors a lot of momentum. After the Celtics had started off the game with an NBA record, or sorry, an NBA Finals record, 0 for 12 from 3. The most missed threes to start a, ga- a Finals game in the last 23, 25 years. And yet they make eight in a row as the second half starts to take a lead. But it was all about the Warriors' response from there. As I mentioned, that pool three at the end of the quarter was part of that. Uh, and in the end, you end up having the Warriors taking that uh, series lead by one and uh, the 10-point game, or the 10-point win in this game. Uh, by the way, to mention the Celtics side of things, Jason Tatum had 27 points on 10 of 20 shooting with 10 rebounds uh, and 5 of 9 from 3. Marcus Smart had 20 points on 7 of 15 shooting, and Jalen Brown, just a little too inefficient, 18 points, but on 5 of 18 shooting, did not make a 3 in this game. Uh, Al Horford had 9 points, 9 rebounds, but only on 3 of 6 shooting, and Robert Williams had 10 points, 8 rebounds. He's pretty much unstoppable. He doesn't miss shots. I think his shooting percentage is something like 92% in the finals, so uh, you're not going to get him to miss many shots. That might be because a lot of his shots are dunks, but... Uh, good for Robert Williams. He's having a great finals considering that he's actually been questionable for every single game in the series so far due to his knee injury. Um, but he'll get better and well, he'll get healthier by next year. And I'm not saying that series is quite over yet, but I picked the Warriors in six. I do think that the Celtics will take game six at home, but I think the Warriors will close it out in seven. Yeah, obviously, uh, my pick of, I think Golden State in five is not going to be accurate. So uh, hoping on Mine still can be. I could still get it right all the way to the games because I had them in six in the first place. Yeah, although you're pretty, you're, you're you're hedging a little, and I think Mm-mm. I, I think I hedged at the beginning. I'm of the not hedging. Game. I just don't think the Warriors are going to win three straight, especially considering how poor they shot tonight. Although it could be that they just have a bounce back night shooting and they shoot to the level that they can, and that's the end of it. And by the way, I forgot to mention Andrew Wiggins was ridiculous yeah. in this last game. I don't know why. I guess I didn't really go into any of the individual stats. I went to the Celtics very very late. Uh, but yeah, Andrew Wiggins was amazing while Steph struggled and didn't shoot well at all. Uh, Wiggins was 12 of 23 from the floor, 26 points, 13 rebounds, despite going that 0 for 6 from the three-point line that I had discussed. Yeah, I think he had 16 points in the first half to keep them. At some point in time, he was their leading scorer with 16 points, and he had a really... He's the leading scorer overall in the game. Yeah. He oh, well, no, Tatum had 27, sorry. He, he uh, had a devastating drive and dunk at the end of the game, kind of... When the, when the Warriors were extending that lead back to double digits. So, great game for him. We'll see. Does Golden State close it out in Game 6? Or do they force a Game 7? Uh, let's move off the NBA Finals and move to our weekly look at Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. The Yankees got to 44-16, and 16, their fifth-best record all time uh, through 60 games. They won the World Series the four previous times. They had better records than 44-16. and 16. Uh, So <laughs> they're on pace for a good season, if you couldn't already tell. Uh, a 7.33 winning percentage is just, I Ridiculous. mean, it, it's record-setting because, in fact, if you take, if you do the math, they're on pace to win 118.7 games. So round it, you get 119, easily the best team of all time uh, record-wise. Uh, they would be setting the records, uh, the wins record over the Mariners who previously held it after, what, they had 116 wins in 2001, but they didn't win the title. Um, Lost to the Yankees. As, a, as a Dodgers fan, I'd be happy if the Yankees didn't win the title with the, with a record, with a, with a record record, um, because it would mean that maybe the Dodgers won it. But 
that's a little bit personal. I think the Yankees look like the best team in baseball right now. They're the best in pitching, they're the healthiest, and they're the best hitting. I think pretty much everything you can point to, uh, they are at least the most consistent at it. I mean, the Mets actually have scored more runs this season, and the Dodgers by two, but a lot of slumps recently. Um, but I still feel like when you look at the lineup that the Yankees have, they, they feel like they're a better on-paper offensive team than those two. I think the Yankees' biggest issue when you're comparing them to the Mets or to the Dodgers would lie in the pitching and would lie in defense because, you know, you can keep Stanton in the game as a DH, obviously, uh, and he's going to hit well and Judge too. But, you know, it's the defense when you're comparing an Aaron Judge to a Mookie Betts or even to a Starling Marte. I mean, obviously, Aaron Judge is tearing it up at the plate. But we all know that Mookie Betts and Starling Marte, especially with his arm and better speed overall for both of them, definitely better defensive players. But those are the only things that can hold the Yankees back. And when you look at the record, there's really nothing holding them back. But they're 9-1 in their last 10. And yet the division really hasn't missed a beat. Uh, Staying behind them, I mean, they're comfortably behind them. But they have not fallen super far behind them. The Blue Jays sitting at 35-24. and Eight and a half games back. Uh, they have a plus 34 run differential now. Uh, by the way, the Yankees are plus 127. Uh, they have now overtaken the Dodgers for the best by about 20. That by virtue of a win. I think they won 18 to 4 against the Cubs uh, on Sunday, or, or I guess yesterday. Or uh, maybe, no, yeah, it was 18 to 4 yesterday. I was right. Um, should trust myself. And also 8 to nothing on Saturday over the Cubs. And also, I mean, only 2-1 to one on Friday, but still, uh, swept the Cubs pretty easy series for them. Uh, but overall, the Blue Jays, 35-24, eight and a half games back. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. The Tampa Bay Rays are 35-25. They're nine games back as opposed to the Blue Jays' eight and a half games back. They are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Also, they won their last game of the weekend series, uh, but that is their streak for now. Then you have the Red Sox, who they've won. They've only won one in a row, but when you look... At the bigger picture of things, before their loss against the Mariners, and at, well, actually, before a loss to the Red, to the Angels, I believe they had a an eight or nine game winning streak at some point. I think it was eight. eight. I think it ended at eight uh, with the Angels, who had lost fourteen in a row, ending their losing streak while playing the Red Sox. But overall, the Red Sox eight and two on the West Coast, a very successful trip for them, uh, and that 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 is propelled them despite being 12 and a half games back in the division to a 32 and 29 overall record. And they're looking pretty good because of it. And by the way, right now they're 13 and 14 at home. As I said, they're eight and two on this road trip. If they can even just stay 500 for the rest of the season with the, with the away record, and they just end up four game, four or five games above 500 on the road, if they're able to get that home record up, they'll be a really good team. And they, they should be in place uh, to make the playoffs at this point. And right now, you would if the play if the season ended today after 60 games, which well it did in 2020. So if this was the 2020 season, our playoff bracket would be the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Red Sox, all going in from the AL East, and then also your Central leaders, the Twins, and your West leaders, the 37 and 23 Astros. Uh, but let's move on to the bottom of this division. Not much to say. This podcast is pretty long already since we're now condensing pretty much. A week, like a week, two episodes worth of content in one. Uh, I will say, Orioles twenty six and thirty five. They don't look that bad. I mean, honestly, they don't look worst team in the league territory anymore. I think it's very clear that the young guys that they've been bringing up have been helping a lot. 
Um, and they're obviously not ready to compete in a division where four teams are in position to make the playoffs right now, but maybe in the future they will be. Uh, so five and five in their last ten. They've won two in a row. Not terrible, but not great either. All right, now let's move to the American League Central. The Twins still holding their lead, and at this point, it looks like you should have given Cleveland much more of a chance to win their division like I did. Uh, Cleveland, 29-27, and 27, actually tied with the Twins in the loss column, despite the Twins being three games up on uh, Cleveland. 35-27 and 27 for the Twins, 29-27 and 27 for the Guardians. 7-3 uh, and three in their last 10, the Twins are only 5-5, five and five, so Cleveland made up some ground, but... Uh, they are going to be put to the test this weekend, because, or sorry, at the beginning of this week, because they have two games against the Dodgers. They are 13-17 and 17 on the road. The Dodgers are 17-10 and 10 at home. Uh, I would, well, normally the phrase is something's got to give, but theoretically, on paper, this should be a Dodgers sweep of those two games, especially when, as we'll talk about it later, the Dodgers have been looking pretty bad recently. Uh, I think this is a series that they should be able to bounce back in because... The Guardians, if you look at it, they're a good enough team on paper to really grab a team's attention, but at the same time, I don't think they necessarily have the talent to beat up on top teams and really take series from them, so it should be a Dodgers bounce-back series if all things are right in the baseball world, but I don't know if the Dodgers are going to bounce back because right now it's just not looked good overall, but we'll get to them later. The White Sox, still struggling, 4-6 and in their last 10, they're 27-31 and overall, they're six games back. Uh, although we're only talking about today's results in terms of the standings and that's where the cutoff is and that's where the records come from, it is of note that the White Sox did win today in the first start by Lance Lynn this entire season. So they finally got him back and he got them a win. So uh, that is something very important to note. It's important because I've been saying the whole season, I still have faith that the White Sox can win this division because I think they can just get healthier while the Twins are, as we know, having some health issues. We talked about it last week, 5-5 five and five in the last 10 after kind of starting to encounter a lot of those health issues, and uh, especially with their pitching staff. Meanwhile, while the White Sox did lose Michael Kopech, I don't know for how long, uh, they are getting Lance Lynn back, so that's pretty important for them as a team. But let's move on from the White Sox. You have the Tigers, nine and a half games back at 24-35. and 35. They were the team that lost that Lance Lynn start, but uh, we're not going to talk much about it. Tigers... You know, they've been disappointing. They could be better, but we'll see if they're able to uh, put something together later in the season. And uh, I don't know, maybe I don't think they'd be the type of team to trade for people at the deadline, but they're the type of team that the way their roster is constructed, they're trying to win now, at least be competitive now. But I don't know if they're willing to give up any of their top prospects to really give guy to really get guys that can actually make their team better. Uh, and then you have the Royals at the bottom of this division, who I believe have overtaken, well, now they're tied with another team that we'll get to in a second, but they have overtaken the Reds for the worst record in baseball, although it's only a half-game lead that they have right now. The Royals at 20-39, and 13 and a half games back of the division lead, which is also crazy when you think about the fact that the Red Sox are above 500 and they're only one game closer to their division leaders than the worst team in baseball is to theirs. Yeah, and they actually went 8-2 and two in the last 10 and lost a game to the Yankees, as you discussed. Yeah. So uh, let's move from that division to another division in the American League where the division leader has an 8.5 game lead over the second-place team. Uh, much less quality second-place team, but we're talking about the American League West. Well, the Astros, well... You say much less quality second-place team, but that's really just the fault of the third-place team, who should be miles ahead 
of the second place team. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the Astros, 37-23 and 23 on the season. Same record as the Dodgers. Better than the Cardinals and the Brewers. Uh, better than the Braves to date. Better, A little bit worse than the Mets. A little bit worse than the Yankees. Better than the Twins. What does that make them? Second best division leader by record. Third best team overall in the league. Uh, so, you know, got to be satisfied with that if you're a an Astros fan for now. Uh, although they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. However... Because of the coldest ice-cold team in baseball, the Angels, uh, they don't lose anywhere near—well, they don't lose any games uh, in their division, except for maybe, I guess, the Rangers could have made up a few, but they didn't. Um, the Astros sitting very comfortably on top of this division, uh, really behind great pitching so far as their main strength. But the Rangers, 28-31, eight and a half games back. Good for them for being ahead of the Angels, but I, I will say— that is more about the Angels playing poorly than the Rangers playing well. They're four and six in their last ten, and just a one one streak of two games in a row against the White Sox has allowed the Rangers to go ahead of the Angels because that is how bad the Angels have been recently. Uh, most recently this weekend, despite uh, snapping their fourteen game losing streak against the Red Sox at the end of that series, uh, the Mets took two of three from them on the road, making. The Angels two for two and eight in their last ten, uh, and you know it doesn't look as bad because they've only lost one in a row. No, that's not that's that's okay. But um, they have been bad for a while now. I don't know what's going on. I can't really pinpoint the issues. It just hasn't been great for them. And then to add, well, as Jeff Passan put it once, injury to insult. Uh, Mike Trout went out with an injury, I think a hamstring injury, and wasn't playing. It still isn't playing in the field. He was DHing uh, against the Mets, but. Uh, really, when you look at it, they didn't get any production outside of Mike Trout as, uh, Mike Trout had one RBI on Sunday night baseball and the rest of the team managed to score zero runs in the rest of the game as they failed to push their lead and the Mets beat them again. But, uh, overall Angels, they just need to get better. 28 and 30, sorry, 29 and 33 is not where this team should be. And then when you look at it, finally, you also have the Mariners 10 games back. They, the fact of the matter is, the Mariners have missed a lot of opportunities. The fact that they're 10 games back in this division is okay. They had a very bad start to the season. But the fact that after the Angels lost 14 games in a row, the Mariners still could not get not only to third, not only to second place, but not even to third place. It, it's just, it, it just looks terrible for them this season. I mean, I don't want to be the bringer of doom or anything, but like, what do you do? They're fourth place in their division. And it's not like this is the AL East where fourth place is a winning record and in a playoff spot. They are far, far out of the conversation. And, you know, there are even teams like the White Sox who, despite their struggles, still have a better record than the Mariners and also look to be trending better because of injury statuses. Then you got the Guardians who are already better. You have the Rangers who are somehow better. You have three or four teams to get above before you even start knocking on the door of the Red Sox, who, by the way, just went to Seattle and took two of three from the Mariners. So, again, Mariners not looking like the team most people expected them to be. Um, I would say this is one of my best takes of the season. I barely had them in the top 20 in my overall preseason power rankings. I remember that. Only reason why I remember that is because I remember having them under the Tigers, and I was like, this is a risky decision, but I really don't feel like they're going to be that good. Well, I was right about the Mariners. I was just way off on the Tigers. Um, but <laughs> well, that's a different story. That might even be a mini podcast episode in the future of reviewing my uh, preseason power rankings as we're nearing, well, now that we're th a third of the way 
through the season. Uh, and then you have the A's at the bottom of this division, 21 and 41. Uh, they are one and nine in their last 10, but I think they had lost 10 and yeah, they lost 10 in a row before um, Saturday's game that they took the win uh, over Cleveland in. And uh, that's just not good for them. 17 games back. Uh, technically, does, do they have the same exact losing? They have the same exact percentage as the Royals. Um, so they're tied for worst team in the league, although they have one extra win. Yeah, I mean, if you're an Oakland fan, would you go to any game? No. The stadium's no, terrible. They I wouldn't don't go. At home. They don't I mean, they didn't. Players. They didn't go. They they weren't going in the first place when they were just a, a seven and twenty three at home. Th- wow. Their fans were really only showing up on the weekend when they were good ish. But I think that's also because the front office. I mean, I, I you know I don't like the decision that they had a contending team. And they decided to just blow it all up. But the front office really never showed the idea that they wanted to actually contend. They were kind of half contending. They were like, yeah, getting the wild card is good every season. We'll just settle for that. But overall, they realized that it wasn't that sustainable. And then all of a sudden, instead of saying, let's stop settling for the wild card and get better, they tried it for the end of last season. They got Sterling Marte. They got Jan Gomes. They got Josh Harrison at the trade deadline. But the moves they made weren't exactly the right moves. And in the end, they couldn't contend for, they, they tried to contend for a title didn't make the playoffs, and then they went. Oh, okay. So this team can't contend at all. If they can, Terrific. if we made trades to, if we made trades to make them a title contender and didn't make the playoffs, it's time to just tear it all down. So that is exactly what they did. And uh, look out for Frankie Montas at the trade deadline. See where he goes. Maybe he could become a Dodger again instead of a former Dodger. That would be something I would like. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, they, they trade away most of their assets already. But. Well, he'll be somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he, it was a, it, it was won't a, be Oakland. well, it was a surprise because Manaya they let they traded right before the season started, and it looked like they were going to keep Manaya and Montas and try to just be I don't know a pitching 500. team. Um, that was yeah, that was barely five hundred. But that well, I don't think they they could be at five hundred with what they had, even with those two pitchers. But after they had traded him, I really thought Frankie Montas was going to get traded, and then they just didn't. I guess they're waiting for him for the deadline, and if they're not, I don't know what they're doing because they're just going to waste his talent. All right, well, let's uh, move off the American League West and shift gears to the National League, starting in the East. Well, the Mets became the second team in the league to forty wins. Uh, behind their counterpart, behind their new city-wide counterpart, their Subway Series rivals, the New York Yankees, uh, forty and twenty-two on the season, very, very good. They're only five and five in their last ten, which isn't great. Uh, but at the same time, they built up such a big lead on the Braves and the Phillies that, despite the Phillies winning nine in a row, and despite the Braves winning eleven in a row, they still have a five and a half game lead over the defending champion Atlanta Braves. That is how good the Mets were to start the season, and that is how good they've been overall. That despite the fact that they're only 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and the Braves have won 11 in a row, they are still 5.5 games back uh, of the Mets. And speaking of those Braves, good news for them, they've won 11 in a row. Bad news for them, and actually now 12 in a row make it today. Bad news for them, Ozzy Albies fractured his foot, which normal, normal injuries for that, or normal recovery time for that is about 6-8 to eight weeks. Uh, we'll talk about six to eight week injuries in the National League West also that we'll get to later for important players, but uh, not a good look for the Braves, the contending, uh, well, defending reigning national champions, or sorry, national champions, World Series champions. I mean, they are the yeah, National the League champions, champions too, yeah. but uh, World Series defending champions, the Braves, 12 games in a row is really good for them, but that Albies injury might be more, I mean, 
I'd say they'd rather go 11 and one in their last 12 and have Ozzy Albies than be than be 12 and 0 winning that meaningless game against I think the Pirates or someone um, and not have him in the future. So it's a big problem for them, but I think they'll figure it out. They've been playing so well recently. I, I, they'll be able to deal with it. Uh, in in third, yeah, the Phillies who went above 500 for the first time I think maybe even the first time this season at least the first yeah. time in a while. Uh, who are now I think nine and two under Phil Nevin, or actually maybe even just nine and one or eight and one. Um, yeah, eight and one. So the Phillies went on a nine-game winning streak. Uh, the last game Joe Girardi ever managed was a win that started this nine-game winning streak. But uh, Phil Nevin, or no, Phil Nevin's the one on the Angels. What am I thinking? Um, I don't. I don't know. There. I, I look. I'm having a hard time keeping not up with Joe interim Girardi. managers. Yeah, not Joe Girardi, former bench coach for for the Phillies, going. Uh, eight and one for for them right now. So uh, good for him, and uh, it's good start to his managerial tenor. Maybe he will keep the job if that's uh, if that's in the cards for him. I don't know if they're just planning to hire someone else, no matter what happens in the rest of the season. But he has a chance. Um, then you have the Marlins, twenty seven and thirty one. Rob Thompson. Thank you, Rob Thompson. That was not a name that I that has stuck out in my head or anything. Uh, I was remembering Nevin because actually the reason why I remember Phil Nevin is because he used to work for the Yankees. But like last year, last year just under um, Aaron Boone, not under Joe Girardi, I thought because he was a Yankees guy, he was probably over with Girardi. But you're right. Wrong red team with an interim manager. There are already too many of them. Um, anyway, Marlins, 27-31, 11 games back. 7-3 in their last 10 for them. But overall, plus 23 run differential, but four games under 500. They should be better than they are, but they're still bad, so what does it matter? Then you have the Nationals who... I've had some hitters had good starts. Uh, Lane Thomas and Nelson Cruz mainly to start June. I've been, yeah, I think third and fifth in OPS to date uh, in June. But team's still struggling, 23 and 39. At least they're better than the Royals and the A's. That's all I can give them. But still, uh, 17 games back in the division, not great. Uh, not a good team at all there. Okay, well then let's move over to the Central. On the on the basis of the Brewers losing eight games in a row, despite just being five and five in their last ten, kind of like the Mets staying in the lead of their division, the Cardinals have taken the division lead over the Brewers, uh, going five and five in their last ten to take that lead. The Brewers going two and eight with an eight game losing streak to allow the Cardinals to take that lead, as I just discussed. But uh, the Cardinals have been good this season, uh, definitely better than the Brewers at this point, trending in the right direction. While the Brewers, not so much. Uh, they're in second place at 34 and 28. The Cardinals at 34 and 27. But let's move on to the rest of this division, where all of them are three and seven in their last ten. Though they've taken they've taken very different routes to get there. Um, the Pirates losing six in a row to get to three and seven in their last ten, eight and a half games back at 24 and 34. Then you have the Cubs, who have also lost six in a row uh, to get to three and seven. At 23 and 36, however, the Cubs with the best run differential out of the bottom three in this division, so theoretically should be the better team, uh, although they sit 10 games back at the Cardinals. Um, and maybe if the Pirates had never played the Dodgers this season, the Pirates would be in the bottom of this division, but evidently that's a team that they're able to beat all the time. But moving off the Pirates, go to the bottom of this division. You have the Reds, who, well, they won one their last game, but 3-7 and seven in their last 10 also uh, 12 and a half back, 21 and 39. They're not the worst team in the league anymore, congrats to them. But their stretch, I think, still, they at one point were 15 and 10 after their 3 and 22 start. Now, well, they're 18 and 17. They're 18 and 17 since that awful start. So, I mean, 
at least they've at least they've been above 500 actually since the 26th game of their season, but they're still very bad. Uh, so it's not it's not great. It's not bad. It's well, no, it's not great. It is bad, but it's not horrible, I guess. Um, and you know, 18 and 17, it proves that maybe if they're all healthy at the same time, maybe they can be okay this season. Maybe they can be okay next season. I don't know, but you know. The Reds are the Reds. Let's just talk about the NL West, I All think. All right, let's do that. Uh, let's move on to the Dodgers, who, I mean, they at this point look like the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> 37-23, <and laughs> but a very big slump for the Dodgers, losing three in a row, four and six in their last ten, overall four and eight in the last 12, maybe even four and nine in the last 13. I don't, I don't know the math anymore. I forgot if it was four and eight on Saturday or four and eight at the end of Sunday. Uh, but got swept by the Pirates two weeks ago, split with the Mets, Took two of three from the White Sox, but then got swept by the Giants. So two bookend sweeps to, uh, well, in the last series at home and then in the la- and then in the in the last series on the road, on the road trip. So the Dodgers need to figure it out. As I said, they're in dire need of a bounce back series against the Guardians. I think they're a good enough team that they can grab the Dodgers' attention and they can, but also not good enough that if the Dodgers are playing their best that the Guardians can actually beat them. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. Biggest news for the Dodgers, well, two big things. Clinton Kershaw came back, but the day before he came back, Walker Bueller got injured, left the game. He's out six to eight weeks with uh, forearm, forearm, I don't know if it's tightness or if, it, or if it's a strain, strain. technically. Strain. Yeah, it's a strain. That's Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, but he'll be out for a while, and uh, the Dodgers will have to deal with that. Maybe getting Andrew Heaney back soon, who I think has had or is on his third, or he's either already had three rehab starts, or he's about to make his third, should be returning soon, I would assume. And the Dodgers also have a bunch of pitching prospects in the minor leagues that they could bring up. Bobby Miller, they've already brought up Ryan Pepio this season. They have a lot of guys, but they haven't been uh, they haven't been using them. And, uh, you know, they, they can get better, and they can pitch better. I think Clayton Kershaw being there will be a big deal. And I think there's also a point where, you know, the Dodgers had this great bullpen ERA to start the season, uh, and then I think over the last two weeks, it's been 6.7 or something of that mark. So that's kind of the big issue. Well, the um, been- and the hitting has also been a problem too. But uh, the bullpen ERA and the hitting, as I already talked about, blowing opportunities. So that's why I didn't need to talk about, didn't feel the need to talk about that again. I had already talked about that a lot. But um, Dodgers can get better. But they're lucky because the Rockies split a series with the Padres, a four-game series on the weekend. Uh, allowing the Dodgers to barely hold on to first place as, well, Padres play the Cubs today and the Dodgers don't play, so maybe they won't be in sole possession of first place by maybe even the time I finish the podcast, uh, or finish this podcast. But 37-24 and 24 for the Padres, playing pretty well despite not having Fern- Fernando Tatis, as we've already discussed, 7-3 and three in the last 10. And then let's move on on the flip side of the Dodgers getting swept. The team that did the sweeping, the Giants, 33-26, and 26. Now three and a half games back um, of the Dodgers, three games back of the Padres, only six and four in their last 10. So they were kind of cold before playing the Dodgers, but uh, they got right and they beat the team that they needed to beat. So that's a good sign for them. And they head into a series with the Royals this week. Then you have the Arizona Diamondbacks who ran into the Phillies. That's too bad for them. Um, They are 29 and 33. They're nine games back, although they did end the Phillies winning streak Stopping it at eight, uh, they are four and six in their or sorry at nine. They're four and six in their last ten. Uh, but despite all that, still ahead of the Colorado Rockies, who are ten and a half games back 
even despite winning two in a row of their own at the end of their series against the Padres, four and six in their last ten. Okay, well that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, June 20th, if we, as we move to a once-a-week schedule over the summer. And in that podcast, we will discuss Patrick's predictions for next weekend's games, recap the conclusion of the NBA Finals, and again, have our weekly deep dive into Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted Thursday, and his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, all of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.